0: hello everyone and welcome to weekend rental episode 86 we are your gaming and geek culture podcast my name is ryan as always i'm joined by andy hey and nate what's going on guys all right if you enjoy our content you can find a load of uh, wonderful other content articles podcasts more whether it's Video games, movies, beer, um, it's all available over at Geekade.com. What's your geek? So let's get right into this episode. It's going to be a special one. Um, An interview, something we haven't done on this podcast for a while. We're going to be sitting down. We had a great discussion with uh, Patrick Hickey Jr. um, and discussed his uh, minds behind the games books and um, the work he does over at ReviewFix.com. And uh, with that, let's let's hear how that went. All right, so we're here with uh, Patrick Kiki Jr. He's uh, the author of The Minds Behind the Games and also founder of ReviewFix.com. Uh, Pat, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, man. Thank you so much for uh, having me on. It's a, it's a pleasure.
0: Yeah. No, it's always nice to get to chat with new people in the community and um, especially people who have uh, an interesting take on it as far as... You know, we do the the podcast for fun, but it's always cool to see somebody who's been able to, like, uh, get their works published is kind of a, a critical next step. And you've got some credits on some games as well. Kind of touched on some voice acting work. Um, one thing I wanted to know before we get into everything else is, like, what was your introduction? Like, what was your first console? What hooked you into
2: gaming?
1: Um, the NES. Um, probably RBI Baseball. Um, I was always a big time baseball fan. I was like a freak when I was a kid. Um, Like I learned how to read at like three years old. And um, my dad would have his friends over to watch like the Mets games and shit like that. And um, I remember one time he like calls me and he's like, PJ, come in. So I go in and uh, he goes to his friends. He's like, watch, watch this, watch this. So he goes to me. He's like, what's Kevin McReynolds batting average with runners in scoring position? And I'm like, 423. And one of his friends is like, he's a freak. Your son's a freak. (laughs) Like Like he's three, you know? So like, for me, it's like being able to play a baseball game with real players at like four years old was just like mind shattering. It's like bases loaded, baseball, all those games were fun, but to actually play with the real players, to like be able to play with like Willie Randolph and Don Mattingly and Mike Scott and Kent Herbeck and Kirby Puckett, I mean, it was it was life changing for me. And then um when the Genesis came the Genesis game just took the sports experience to the next level. And right. then um, then I got a Super Nintendo, and so I got I became a fan of the Japanese RPGs. And then the PlayStation took the Japanese RPG and the sports genre to the next level. So it was just like complete teenage orgasm for me. you know. Um, <laughs> and then by, th- by the time the PS2 came out, I was ready for college, and I started writing. And then I uh, was editor-in-chief of my college newspaper, and I was like, hmm, it would be a really good idea if I didn't have to pay for games anymore. <laughs> so I started writing video game companies like, uh, Tecmo, um, Atlas, and they started sending me games. And then when I went to my next college, I told them, I'm like, guys, I'm going to another college. Can you send those games to this college instead? And they were like, yeah, sure. Then after I graduated college, I started review fix and so on and so on NBC. And it's just, I feel like I've been writing about video games. I mean, I've been writing about video games now for 15 years. So it's like, it's longer than some people, like some of my readers, I have like readers sometimes like before this whole COVID craziness happened. I like a 12 year old girl come up to me and she, she read the first book and we were BSing about night trap and stuff like that. And, um, I was like, I've been writing about games longer than you've been alive. Like I felt so old,
2: <laughs>
1: you know, but it's been such a fun, it's been such a fun journey. And it's all because of my dad. Like my dad, um, worked at a printing company in the city with my uncle and, um, they just played NES all day. They didn't do anything.
3: It sounds like a good problem to
2: have.
1: I'm telling yeah. you. So, but my dad would get his ass kicked all the time by my uncle. <laughs> so my dad, my dad would bring the games home. And then he started playing against me, and then I would kick his ass, but he actually got better by playing against <laughs> me, and then he would beat my uncle, and then when I would go into work with my dad to hang out like over the summer, my dad would be, would like bet my uncle like five bucks or lunch or whatever. he's like, "I bet my son could beat you in ice hockey for lunch, you know, like stuff like that. And um yeah, that was the beginning of it. the NES man, crazy.:
3: That sounds awesome. like the, the coolest upbringing ever, you know, to have parents. To have parents in in that day and age, especially when the councils first came out, there was that craze of it's rotting your brain and and all of that stuff. And so to have parents say, hey, yeah, let's let's play. Get get me better at this game. That's that's pretty impressive.
1: Parents totally did not know better. Um, They were young when they had me. I love them to death, but white trash. And
2: uh,
1: we didn't have a lot of money growing up. It was like, um, like a ghost face killer video. We were like plucking roaches out the cereal box. And, um, but if you had a console, so it's like, you could be poor, but if you had enough money for a console and a game, like every couple of weeks, things weren't so bad. And, um, my dad was always in the city and he would bring home stuff like Wonder Boy and Monster Land and King's bounty and PG golf and like all, like he would bring home really cool shit. And like, he was a big baby that way you know and um we used to play all the time and then by the time the playstation came he was like done he was done with video games but i mean sure for a good 10 12 years we used to play all the time so it was a lot of fun even like i used to get him to play golden eye with me yeah. on nintendo 64 and i used to yeah. clean, clean his clock in uh the wcw games on a uh, Nintendo sixty four and uh he used to use Scott Norton all the time, which he, he looks like my father looks like Scott Norton and scary. Oh wow. Yeah, he's like five eleven, like two sixty, like Donkey Kong body, all arms and legs, you know? so, so after a while of like kicking his ass, it was just he would get pissed off and I'm like, you know what, let me not let me not piss the guy off anymore. So then he stopped playing. He kinda like bowed out, he retired. He went off into the sunset, but <laughs> crazy, crazy.
3: So when when you said that, um, so when you were kind of just talking a little bit about how your journey has progressed a little bit, you were, uh, you mentioned writing, being bold enough to write a letter to like Tecmo and Atlas and all that stuff. What was that like for them to actually say, yeah, I want to send you some stuff. I mean, I'm sure they're getting letters all the time from a, a ton of people. So what what made you stand out outside of like all of these people that, uh, you know, what kind of, what kind of sparked that, what kind of excited you with actually getting games?
1: Well, at first I sent like a full frontal nude to them. (laughs) That always works. So so I was trying to get him to spit out his drink. I saw him drinking. I'm like, if I could get him to spit out his drink, that would be great. Um, I, um, I, I had some really solid journalism professors, um, when I was in college and, um, they help me craft. Like they help me understand from a very early age, um, as a writer that your pitch is very important and, um, that people have to be able to see who you are and what you stand for in as little space as possible. So if you're going to send a pitch and it's like 10 pages, no one's going to read it. So it's like two paragraphs, just like, this is who I am. This is what I want to do. And I've always been good at the pitch, you know, at, at like convincing people. Um, Talking in elevators, talking in bathrooms to editors and just being like, bro, I want to write this. And like washing their hands like, oh, OK, all right. You know, and everyone would be like, how the hell did you get that assignment? And I'm like, ah. <laughs> we were, you know, he got out of the bathroom at the same time as me. And I was just like, oh, I want to interview the, you know, the community manager of Last of Us. Like, oh, oh, but why you? I was in the bathroom and you weren't, you know, so it's just um, <laughs> it's just tight, well-written pitches. I mean, this is the thing. If you're a great journalist, you probably get shot down like 75% of the time with your pitches. So if you get like one out of four, you're a rock star, you know? And back then, I mean, I was like 10%. I was getting like, so, but I I sent letters to like Sony, to Sega, Tecmo, um, all these places. And the only places that responded back in the beginning were Tecmo and, uh, Atlas. So whatever they sent me, I would play the shit out of and write as thoughtful and honest reviews as possible. And then as I graduated, I started writing for better places. So then I met more publicists and things like that. So it's just like journalism is like a scaffolding thing. You know, it's just like you meet better people, you make better connections, and then everyone's moving up at the same time. So I just had that idea drilled into me from a very early age to just give people your best in as short amount of time as possible, make a lasting impression and you'll be okay and the rest will come so that's kind of like what i've stuck with through the last 15 years oh my god
4: <laughs> <laughs> so at what point were you did you kind of turn the corner up from like doing those type of reviews and those type of articles to more interview based
1: i've always loved to do interviews so um when i started review fix um I obviously was doing a ton of reviews, but then I had other people that were writing reviews. So I'm just like, you know what, let them do that. Let me do interviews. And I started, you know, making connections and doing more interviews. And then um, when I was at Examiner, I mean, at one time I was the most read video game writer on examiner.com before they closed down. And um, I was doing a ton of interviews for them, like indie game developers, which I always found interesting, like one guy in his basement, you know, with his washing machine behind him, you know.
2: (laughs) making a game
1: you know and um i always love those people like those one man bands because i mean i feel like my entire life that's kind of like how i've been i'm the first college graduate in my family i'm the first person in my family not to do drugs or alcohol you know so it's like i've always kind of felt like i was this one man wolf pack so i always like to interview people that were like that um then um when i got to nbc uh nbc was basically like we don't want any reviews like that's sure. basura. Like we want you to do like some real reporting. So then it was just like, Okay. All right. So I already had a whole bunch of contacts. So then it was just like, Okay, I call a Rockstar, you know, oh you guys sold, you know, a hundred million, you know, in carts you know, how does that feel? And then, Oh, now I'm writing a finance piece about video games, or, you know, then I'm interviewing, you know, the people on Epic Mickey two about how they got Oswald the rabbit into the game and the licensing deal and stuff like that. So that NBC was great for that. And then, um, by the time I left NBC, I got married. And then, um, I was just at the point where my wife was about to have our first child. And, uh, I felt like I wanted to write something that would stand the test of time. Examiner closing really hurt me because I had like 3000 articles on there and they were just gone. So I ended up like, you know, transplanting them to review fix, but it was, it's not the same, you know? So I'm like, how do I write something that when I die, will still be around. And the only answer was to write a book. So, um, I was just sitting in my man cave and I'm just like, what the hell do I write about? And I had, I had had a conversation with one of my bosses and, um, my original plan was to like build the multimedia journalism program at my college. Cause I'm a college professor. And, um, my boss was like, yeah, no. So this was a guy that had like tenure and he was just, co- he's coasting for like the next 20 years. He doesn't have to do anything. And I'm just like, that's not me. I don't want to do that. So I'm like, I want to push myself. So I'm sitting in my man cave. And I'm just like, I'm going to write a book about video games. And I just started pulling out games. You know, Wonder Boy and Monsterland, King's Bounty, Toe Jam and Earl, E.T., Mutant League Football. Um, and I'm like, I know who created these games. So let me reach out to them. It goes back to what we were talking about before, the pitch. Write them a damn good pitch and keep my fingers crossed. And um, within like a week or two, all of the original people, the six or seven people that I pitched all answered me so then I used, this was like Halloween of 2016. So like three weeks later, four weeks later, Thanksgiving, I have like six chapters written. My wife is like six, seven months pregnant. She's laying down, you know, we just had Thanksgiving dinner and I'm bored. So I'm like, you know what, let me send a pitch out to a publisher and see what happens. And three days later, McFarlane is like, yeah, we want it. And they're like, okay, you got six or seven games. This is great. But this book needs to be like 80,000 words. So you're going to need at least 23 games.
3: Oh my so gosh.
1: <laughs> so I'm like, oh my God, how the hell am I going to do this? So then I'm just like, you know what? I went to the grindstone and I'm just like pitch. Like I was sending 20, 30 pitches a day. By the time the first book was finished, had thirty six games. So it worked out great. But it's just like I've met so many people over the last, you know, three or four years. And I think that's when the corner turns so I tell my, my journalism students all, all the time, like anyone can write a review. You know, and people write reviews to various skill levels, you know. But to do an interview with somebody, to sit down with somebody and to get them to tell you something that's nowhere else online and to have somebody place faith in you and tell you their story, that's a skill. That's something that somebody can't take away from you. So that's what I wanted to do. I've seen so many video game books out where it's like, oh, the hundred greatest this and oh, my favorite games and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, I want to do something different. And I've also seen like books out where in the forward, it's like, oh, some of the events in this book didn't take place the way they occurred. And they've been increased for dramatic effect and blah 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 blah. You know, it's like I think Console Wars has that in there. If you read the forward mm -hmm. to Console Wars, and I remember everyone was talking about that book, and I read it and I absolutely loved it. And but I remember in the forward, I'm like, "So what did what did you change?" And we don't we don't know. And the thing is, he got Seth Rogan to write the intro, and it's such a good book. You know, like if you feel like the fly on the wall to all of these, like crazy moments between Sega and Nintendo, but then you have to ask the question, if you changed one thing in that book to make it cooler to me as a journalist and as a journalism professor, it's fiction, you know? So sure. nothing in my book is like that. I haven't stretched anything. Everything is word for word spot on. And it's, it's like a part of my legacy. So to answer your question, I'm sorry. Um, I I feel like I turned the corner when that day when I, when I decided to write the book and I decided not to really write reviews anymore and to try and protect the legacy and the history of the video game industry.
0: Yeah. No, that's what I liked about your book too, is it's like, well, for one, I like that. It's a lot of games because that's the thing with like any sort of like entertainment is like not everything, not every song or movie is going to connect with everyone, but there's enough stories in here that like, yeah, I might not have cared, but I go into it and read it anyway, find out something cool, but then it goes on to the next page, I turn it over, and here's this game I absolutely love, and I'm finding out some some cool stuff on, like, I loved the uh, boy in his blob finding out that that was done in six weeks. It's like, holy crap. Wow. Yeah. And then we, so we kind of had a running gag on the podcast, because we used to do a segment where we would play games and decide if we'd buy, rent, and burn them every episode, and we fell into a David Crane rut, and it was like that whole era of like David Crane's amazing tennis, David Crane's boy in his blob. So we ended up even just doing like a movie review segment for a while. And we just called it David Crane's amazing movie time. <laughs> so like to read the David Crane stuff was just like, Oh yeah, this, this totally connects. Cause we all love that stuff. And
1: He's such a cool really guy cool. Too. He's yeah. such a cool guy, total rock star. Um, the fact that like, I remember when he answered me, I was waiting for the bus at like 10:30 at night on my way home. And I just read the email and I'm just like, yeah, I'm like, yeah. Uh, like yeah. The, one of the only other times I've been that happy was when, um, I got Dave Cowan, the uh, lead programmer of the original grand theft auto on PlayStation. When I got him, I was just like, now we got a book, you know, like, and, um, yeah. So like when Dave got back to me and then Dave just made it super easier for me to talk to other people, because again, when writing the pitch to other people, I could say, oh, I'm working on the book. And by the way, I've already spoken to David Crane. So then people will go, oh, well, you know, David Crane spoke to you. I'll talk to you, blah, 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 right. blah, you know, and it even like in funny situations, like Howard Scott Warshaw, the guy that did um, E.T. and Yars Revenge and Indiana Jones. um, He's not like the biggest fan of David Crane's work. Not so really?
5: it's like Yeah.
1: <laughs> so it's like if you read The Minds Behind the Adventure <laughs> Games, that's my second book. Um I have Pitfall in there where I spoke to David and then I spoke to Howard about Indiana Jones. And Howard was just basically, he's like, for Indiana Jones, I wanted to make, like, the biggest game. And he's like, because everyone talks about how David Crane's pit bull is the biggest game, but it's, like, the same goddamn screen over and over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, you know, like, he, he was adamant about, like, that he was more of an artist than David Crane. And, like, they're both both—they're sure. both amazing. So, for like, sure. Howard, Howard is, like, one of the smartest people I've ever met in my entire life. So, But just to have, like, that little back and forth, like, indirect <laughs> back and forth between the two of them was great. So, so it was, it's, it's been, it's been so
4: much fun. Nice. Well, that's so hilarious too, because those two are the two people that always show up to retro to game every conventions convention, yes. to do panels. So mm-hmm. it's like a lot of times they're doing back to back panels even, you know? Mm-hmm. So, wow. Huh. Yeah. Man,
0: imagine if those two had worked on something together though, back in that era. That been See, great. I don't, I
1: don't, I don't know if they would have, if it would have worked out though, because it's like, it um, heads.
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. Because Howard was like a massive like party guy. You know, and David got, like, brought in, like, to video games, like, because he played tennis with, like, you know, other developers and stuff like that, and, like, kind of cut from, like, a different cloth. Sure. I don't know. And, like, um, I learned so much about E.T. by interviewing Howard, but then it was, like, when I was working on the fourth book that's coming out in December, The minds behind Mind the Shooter Games, Um, I spoke to Robbie Fulop, who did Missile Command on the Atari 2600, and he also did Night Trap. I mean... He's the man. Wow. Um, he said the biggest difference between uh, he did Space Invaders for the Atari ST, and it was like it was a commercial like flop. He wasn't happy with it, and um, he said the biggest difference between that and Missile Command was for Missile Command he had his door open the entire time, and he would allow other developers to come in and play the game. Like sure. he, he was he wasn't in that tunnel, and he was just like he's like Pat down the hole. Howard Scott Warshaw was working on ET. And he was literally locked in a dark room All day, he didn't speak to anybody And I'm just mm-hmm. like, he didn't tell me that You know, like he told me How how exhausting the process was And stuff, but like When you have Robbie Fulop tell say, Tell the story about how like the door was locked Black, black room It just makes you it makes you admire the guy a little bit more and makes you appreciate ET more because there's so many fanboys and streamers out there that all they do is shit on ET. And it's just like, I've played worse games than ET before, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I certainly played worse games that um, didn't sell 1.6 million copies.
3: So... <laughs> We've played them all on the Byron <laughs> Burns. So <Yeah. laughs> all the worst
0: ones. And oh, I yeah. always told people about ET was like, I'm an NES kid too, but like my first console ever was a, a hand-me-down uh, 2600 and I had ET. I played ET a lot. I never thought it was like the most amazing game, but I certainly didn't yeah. walk away as a kid being like, oh, this is trash. Like I got to play mm-hmm. as what kind of looked like ET in an Atari game, which was rare for anything to look like the source material. So
5: I
1: think I about know. it. it's an open world game. On the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, yeah, like it actually pushed the limits of what the what the Twenty Six Hundred was able to do. You know, there's some amazing games on the Twenty Six Hundred, but they're all like rooted in beauty by simplicity,
0: right? You know, right?
1: Like, like Berserk is this amazing third person shooter that's just super simple, and then you have this amazing enemy that follows you and goes through walls and stuff, but it's still super simple. There was nothing simple about ET,
2: yeah. So
0: yeah, yeah, I mean especially, you know, one man in a room 5 weeks. I mean, one man, 5 weeks. You know, it's like it's <laughs> crazy. It's crazy. So let's talk a little bit about that. How did the, you know, I've heard some other podcasts, but how did the whole voice acting and getting into that side of the games happen from your your writing?
1: So like I I grew up in the in the early the early 90s, late 80s, you know. I'm 37 now. Um but I grew up like with the jerky boys. I was making prank <laughs> phone calls. Like, sure. the guy up, you know, the Arabic deli owner up the block used to get phone calls like every day from me, <laughs> you know, in different, in different voices. And he would yep. play along. Like, you know, he knew it was me. And, um, I used to have a blast and I always used to do voices. I used to do like, you know, the intercom and like, I watched police, police Academy. And like, I loved just fucking with people. Um, But the thing was, I ended up becoming a college professor and a writer. So it's just like, when do you do voices if you do stuff like that? Like a couple of times I was joking around in NBC and I would do voices and people would think it was funny. But then they're like, oh, you know, tone it down. Like everyone's, you know, (laughs) all tight assed up there, you know, in in 30 Rock, you know. Um, So what happened was after the first book came out, um, I was planning a sequel. But I got right back to work with Review Fix. Like I never stopped writing review fix i still every day write for a review fix um and um i go on twitter and i search for sexy indie games to do interviews so i found um this game called the padre and um it looked like minecraft but like um the lighting was excellent and it had really good music. And it was like a Catholic priest walking through like this forest. And then this tree just like bitch slaps him. Like the tree comes alive. And it looked like like one of the like one of the trees from like the Wizard of Oz, you know? Okay. It was really cool. So I interv- I uh, messaged the developer. And I was like, let's do an interview. So he's like, okay. So I find out that I am um, the first person to interview him. So we start bullshitting on Facebook. Really nice guy, Bensal Holly. Um, So then um, he's like, do you want to play the game? It's in beta. This is after the interview. So I'm like, sure. So right away, like playing the game, it's like an homage to Alone in the Dark. So point and click, survival horror, jump scares, really cool. Um, But there's typos all over the place, like in the text. And if you're going to have a point and click game, it's mostly text. So thankfully, you know, master's degree in journalism, English and journalism professor, I was like, guys, if you want me to edit this, Let's talk. So we spoke, we came up with a price and I edited like the entire script in like a day. Like, cause I wanted to show them that I wasn't fucking around and I did it in like a day. And then they're like, Oh, here's the update. And, um, put in the update. And I'm like, all well, my changes are there. I'm like, I actually like contributed to this. They paid me right away. I'm like, this is fun. I could do this more. You know, a couple weeks later, they send me more edits. So I'm like, oh, so this is like a repeating thing. And they're like, yeah, you're story editor now.
5: Nice. So like, <laughs>
1: like, this is awesome. This is awesome. So, but I'm getting to play the game, like, and see stuff that nobody else could see. And, oh, so good. I'm really connecting with, like, the story, you know. Um, I'm suggesting things to go in the story. So there's, like, some... Roddy Piper, they live in like Luke Cage references in the game that come from me, you know, <laughs> cool stuff like that, you know. So now we're getting ready to go to Kickstarter and these guys are from Bulgaria. So English isn't their second language. So you got to cut them some slack, you know, and they're like, Pat, we need you to edit the Kickstarter. Like all the all the words in the Kickstarter. And I'm like, that's a lot of pressure, man, because it's like if it's riddled, if your Kickstarter is riddled with typos, no one's going to invest in you. Right. So right. These guys Warm. don't know me like that. I'm the only person in the United States on the team. It's six other guys in Bulgaria and they just trust me. And I'm just like, like, wow. Like I felt really appreciated. So I edit added a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure, <laughs> you know, but I took it in stride. I did it. And now like, we're getting ready. We're like two weeks away from the Kickstarter being launched. And they're like the voice act, the voice actor left. And I'm like, what? They're like, oh, he had like personal problems. I'm like, and I hate that because I'm a college professor and I hear that shit all the time.
2: Oh, <laughs> professor,
1: I have personal problems and I have this and I have that. And I'm just like, I don't make excuses for anything. I right. do what I have to do because at the end of the day, like nobody cares. You need to get what you need to get done and that's it, you know? So then I was like, you know what, guys? I'm like, it's all good. I was like, he sucked anyway. I could do the voice. And they're like, what? I'm like, it's supposed to be a scary game, and this guy sounds like Russell Brand. It's just like you know, just like walking through like Nate and Amber Douglas's house, and it's just like all scary, you know, washing machines and wow, you know. I'm like, no, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. So, I've always been good at that, Don LaFontaine. In a world, one man, one tortilla, you know? And I'm just like, I can't do that because that would just be laughable. Like, no one would be able to play the game. They'd just <laughs> laugh their asses off, you know? Right. So I'm like, S- what if I combine, like, that debonair, like, English character? Because that's what they were going for. Like, a charismatic, older, charismatic Englishman with that with that base. Because you need that base if you're doing a horror game. You know, you need that low so a boy came up with this dark English voice. My name is Alexander, and I am the Poultry. I am a servant of God. And I sent it to them, and they were like, "All right." I'm nice. like, yeah. <laughs> and they go, um, "Can you record all the dialogue today?" And I'm just like, <laughs> and literally like trying to find it in my register, finding that voice. Like I was coughing up blood. Like my vocal oh, cords were, were oh. fried. Trying to find it, and then when I found it, you know, I was like, "Oh shit!" Like that's it. So I recorded everything, and then they send me the update, and it's like the same day they had everything in, and I'm just like, "So we didn't get funded on Kickstarter,
2: which sucks, oh, okay.
1: but I had done so many podcasts and so many interviews, and we did so many email interviews, and we like promoted the shit out of the game that we ended up getting picked up by Fear Demic, and they published the first game on Steam, Xbox One, PS4, Switch, you know, so it's like holy shit,
5: that's I'm-
2: awesome
1: the voice of a main character in a game. Holy crap. And now the Padre two is coming out soon. I just finished doing all the VO for that. And, um, I'm working on a whole bunch of other, like next year, I'm probably going to have four games with writing credits and a couple with voice, voice acting credits. Um, and uh one of them is this game called run die run again um it's made by Tony Barnes you guys probably know Tony Barnes from like Desert Strike, Jungle Strike, Urban Strike, Buffy Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Star Wars Episode 3, Strider 2014, Medal of Honor 2010. He's awesome so it's like a first person platforming game with a really cool story um so I do VO for the narrator in that game um which is really fun uh I, I also wrote the story for this uh, retro shooter called Kroom, K-R-O-O-M. And uh, the animator on that game is Pete Paquette, and he was the senior animator on Bioshock Infinite. And he's also done uh, he's, hes done all the keyframe animations for uh, Overwatch. He's worked on Madden. Um, he's a pro. He's a pro. So like, he I was on his podcast, and at the end of his podcast, he was like, um, if you want to do more work in the video game industry, let me know. And nice. I was like, I'm letting you know.
5: <laughs> now.
1: you know like right away on a show and two weeks later we ended up having a conversation and he presented like this kind of like skeleton for a story he's like this is what i want you to do and i'm just like these characters don't have names i'm like there's a whole lore that needs to be written i'm like you're giving me like like a skeleton and he's like yeah i know and i'm like you know that i'm a non fiction writer right you know that i'm a journalist right and he goes yeah but you can do it he goes you've interviewed all these video game developers he's like you know what goes into a good game you can do it and he completely trusted me
3: Wow. That's amazing.
1: And then I wrote the story. I wrote the story for that game and I'm the voice of the main character in that game too. So COVID's kind of slowed us down a little bit, but um, sure. I'm really looking forward to getting back on that. And there's there's a bunch of stuff I can't talk about because of NDAs, but like, oh man, there's like two or three projects right now that I cannot wait for 2021 when they come out so, to just like, Having a game that's on Steam and that you can download is awesome. Like, I've gone over people's houses and they're like, we're going to download Padre right now. Oh, by the way, go in front of the TV so we can take your picture. You know, <laughs> or like, and everyone's drinking. Turn and the
3: volume down, have you read it. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's like stupid stuff like that. It's so cool. But it's like next year, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be able to walk into like a GameStop and pick up one of my games so that's that's, that's, that's like the dream you know and i still have like i have three books out now by the end of next year at this time i'll have like at least two more out definitely three by 2022 so like this this whole journey is is just still in its infancy but i've done so much in the last three years it's been nuts
3: wow it sounds like it that's incredible and voiceover i mean i think that's just that's such an interesting job anyways i mean voiceovers for many games it it can often make or break a game and just you know you have some i don't i can't even remember what i was playing but some big burly guy show up and then it's like this tiny little voice like you said this like what happened i think they got the wrong guy for this did they mix things up and so i mean that's a lot of pressure on your shoulders to get the voice and, and to make that character and actually make it makes sense and that's pretty awesome
1: I think like being able to edit all of the dialogue in the game played a huge role because I tried to make make him sound the way I heard him in my head you know and it's like every time I would play through the game and I would hear this guy talk I would cringe and it's not because he's bad like I could totally see this guy I don't even know his name I could totally see him in like a leisure suit Larry or something like that you know or something like offbeat and fun but not not in this game and um again bence bence gave me a huge opportunity Pete gave me a huge opportunity like tony barnes is like one of the coolest most down-to-earth people in video games um and he trusts me so it's just like wow so i've been very fortunate to meet the right people and for them to to trust me not only to tell their story but to work on their games
0: Well, I got to imagine now that like, you've got the books behind you, you've got the interviews, but now you're like in these games, you've got like credits, like that's got to open up so many more. I mean, has it gotten easier then with subsequent interviews because it's so much easier to just make connections?
1: So like, I'll, I'll give you guys an example. Um, for the, the PlayStation book that I'm working on now. So like the first three books are out, the minds behind the games, the minds behind the adventure games, the minds behind the sports games. Those are out. Um, the minds behind the shooter games comes out like in December or January. And then um, I have the Minds Behind the Sega Genesis games, which is finished, and um, I'm working on the Minds Behind the Sony PlayStation games right now. Um, I started, um, like I told you, I had to get at least 23 games for the first book, and it was like it was so hard because I didn't know any of these people and this and that. I was able to get 35 games confirmed for the PlayStation book in about a month and a half. Wow. I was, ri- I was sending pitches and writing chapters while my wife was in labor. I was, cause, cause of COVID, they wouldn't let me stay in the room until she was like ready to, you know? And, um, I'm just like, yo, if I'm going to sit here, I'm going to like go crazy. Cause like, I need, I want to be in there, you know? And I'm like, if I can't be in there, I'm going to just start sending pitches. And I'll never forget like Kellen Hatch. Um, he's worked on like Warhawk and Twisted Metal And Jet Moto and Brian Campbell, who's worked on Twisted Metal and Jet Moto and uh, Charles uh, uh, Pagaji, who did level design on Parasite Eve. They just got back to me and they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll talk to you. And they're sending me answers and I'm just writing on my iPhone, like waiting for my son to be born. And it was just like that was in May and now we're in November and I have 37 chapters for that book written already. So that book isn't even finished and it's bigger than my first book.
3: Wow. Dude, you're a machine. You are a machine.
1: <laughs> it's it got, and the thing is too, it's just like, it's like that thirst. Once you kind of get it, once one developer says yes to you, you're just like, okay, let's let's yeah. try and get another one. Let's try and get another one. It, and then the thing is too, I have to say, I have amazing readers and my followers on Twitter and especially Instagram. Um, they're so vocal to me. Like they'll I remember when I was working on the adventure book, they were like, We want croc. Remember croc? And I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. You so and five I, I other people.
2: Out.
1: Yeah. But I was like, you know what? If you want it and you're gonna buy the book, I'll do it for you. Yeah. You know, and I got croc and um it was like the same thing with Night Trap. I remember when I announced Night Trap. I had two or three people come over to me, they're like, Why the fuck is Night Trap in your book? Like, it's like one of the biggest flops in gaming history. I'm like, cause there's a story mm. there. So yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I don't care about like the review scores and stuff like that. I'm like, that's the last thing I care about. I'm like, it's got an interesting story and I want to be able to tell it. And, um, those, all three of those people, they all told me after they're like, night trap is the best chapter of the first book. I'm like, I know.
3: Yeah. I really liked like, that one. And like I still I mean, it's yeah. perfect timing too, you know, with uh like night trap kind of had that resurgence with uh what was it limited run? I yeah, can't remember it was yeah. run. I, yeah, really and so films. it that buzz started happening again with night trap, well, and I'll everybody I'll... that crapped all over the game all of a sudden became a big fan of it
1: so I'll tell you um my manuscript was due in like five days, and I remember one of my students, cause I was talking about the book with my students. Cause I'm like, I'm writing this for you. I'm like all the things that I tell you to do with your sources and how to write. I'm like, I'm writing the book, the way I teach you to write. I'm like, so I'm like, if you're interested in video games, like this is like, I'm trying to write something that will not only help you as a lover of the industry, as a gamer, But as a journalist, like how to do an interview the right way, this and that, blah, blah, blah. So I remember one of my students messages me like a BuzzFeed article. And it's just like Night Trap, 25th uh, anniversary, re release by the screaming villains, blah, blah, blah. And they interviewed the team. And I emailed them right away. And I'm like, guys, I have a book that I have to send into my publisher in like five days. I need to send you like 10 questions through email and do like a quick Skype with you, like 15 minutes. And let's get you in this book. And they were like, yeah,
2: okay. So it
1: was just, and at that point I didn't even have a first book out, you know? So they, they, again, they were taking a chance on me. So I've been, again, I don't like to say luck because I hate that word. Oh, you're lucky. It's like, "Mm," like, what does that even mean? You know, but it's just like, I feel like I hit, I hit at the right time because they were probably being interviewed by a lot of people at that time. And they probably were like, Oh shit, this guy's writing a book. Yeah. Let's get in that too. You know? Mm -hmm. So but it worked out, yeah. So it's, like, right around the time that the first book was released, Night Trap got the 25th anniversary remaster. Wonder Boy, the Dragon Trap came out. Yep. You know, there was a whole bunch of, like, cool stuff going around, the games that I was writing about. So it was just, it was perfect, perfect timing. Perfect timing. timing. Well, it wasn't that
0: incredible. like, spiritual successor pretty close to?
1: Same exact thing. And then yeah. uh, Michael Mentheim is, is, I'm pretty sure he's almost, like, in he's in at least three books of mine. So uh, when he did the Kickstarter for the first Mutant Football League, I interviewed him for NBC and for Examiner and for my site. Like I tried to promote that as much as possible because I felt like this is a guy that made great stuff on the Genesis. And like he needs an opportunity to try and make his stuff again. So like I promoted it hardcore. So when um, I started the book stuff, I was like, remember that little that little Q&A that we did? And he's like, yeah, I'm like, I want to use that as a springboard to something bigger. And he's like, like what? I'm like, chapter in a book. So we ended up doing uh, Mutant League Football for the first book. Then we did Mutant League Hockey for the sports book. Um, And then we're doing Army Men Sarge's Heroes for the uh, PS1 book. So, yeah, he's been awesome. And that's the thing, too. Um, There's so many developers that have such wide-ranging portfolios. So, like, I've hit up David Crane, Gary Kitchen a whole bunch of times. And because sometimes people don't connect the dots. They don't go. Oh, the guy that did *Mutant League* football did an *Army Men*. Really? He did battle tanks too. What? Because for some reason or another, like you guys know that Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld created *Seinfeld*. You know mm-hmm. that like Quincy Jones wrote so much of Michael Jackson stuff. You know. Um, but if I say who created *Grand Theft Auto*, you go, "Oh, Rockstar." And so many gamers, so many gamers do it. And I hate it. I pardon my French, but I fucking hate it. I had a conversation the other day with somebody on Instagram and they're like, I really like what you're doing, but you know, I don't really play games that way. Like if I like crash bandicoot, I just play all the games. Like I don't really care. And I'm like, I'm like, you're so dumb that you don't even know how dumb you are. And I was like, let me explain. (laughs) I was like, there's like 15 different crash bandicoot games out. I'm like, I guarantee you there's not one person that's on all 15 of those teams. All of those games play different from one another. All 15 of those games have a story behind them. All 15 of those games play different. If you understand that, you understand the game more, you're smarter for it, you appreciate the game more. That's what Mm -hmm. I want to do. I'm like, I want you to appreciate these games that you've spent hours upon hours of playing and never thought to imagine all the shit that was going on while these games were being created. You know, So some people get it. And some people don't, some people will never get it, but then some people they're kind of like, Oh wait, like ET was only done in five and you know, in five weeks. Oh my God, let me play it again. You know, or I have uh, one guy in Long Island, big Islander fan. So I like him cause I'm an Islander fan. I'm like the only Islander fan in Brooklyn. Um, and he messaged me and he's like, bro, I bought fighting force, uh, this game, that game. He's like, I bought like five games in the first book after reading the chapter. And I'm like, I love you. I'm like that's awesome because that's what I want to do. You know, I want to connect you to your favorite and not so favorite games in a way that you've never been connected before. That's the whole. That's the whole point of the whole journey for me.
0: Well, I think it's really interesting, especially like you know when you connect with those games in your books that were formative to you growing up. Like that's a big thing, and like you know, speaking, you know, I'm kind of the same age, grew up in the same era. You know, so I was in college. You know, I really loved the the. I'm a big fan of the history behind this stuff. So I would go to like blogs and you know, there was no YouTube burning at the time. I'm sure we had like EGM was still being published, but nobody really like gave you the backstory. So I'm learning on these like weird back forms, like how Nintendo started, like what yep. the wonder swan was, why had I never heard of this? And like, so I, I appreciate that aspect of like you just diving in and getting to like the important details behind it. Cause it is art, right? Like it, I, I agree with you. It's like frustrating when you hear somebody just say like publisher, like, no, there's, like let's really appreciate what happened here because we do it with every other form of media, but for some reason gaming it's 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 hard in the mainstream for that to catch on
1: absolutely i mean i talk to I talk to people that have hundreds of thousands of followers on twitter, instagram, you know Facebook and stuff, and they don't know the difference between like first party and third party games they don't know the difference between a developer and a publisher, and then it's just like. I'll watch videos on YouTube by super popular YouTubers. And it's like, you're just reading what's on the Wikipedia page. Right.
0: That they wrote. (laughs) Probably.
1: It's like, what are you adding (laughs) to the conversation? So that's the thing. I like everyone, like even the weakest chapter of one of my books, when you're done reading the chapter, which again, it's written in a way. Where, like, you're taking the train in New York City and you've only got like 10 minutes to read a chapter. Like, that's the Mm -hmm. way I set it up. So, this way you could jump in and jump out and get a lot of information, enjoy it, and then move on. Um, If you read a chapter of of one of my books and you don't come away with at least two or three things that you didn't know before, I drop the bull. And I'm like John Riggins, you know, back in the day, like Washington Redskins. Like, you got to pry that bull out of my hands because I don't drop (laughs) it very often, you know? So, as far as like the reporting, goes, you know, like, so that's the thing. You've got people that have such, they have such a wonderful opportunity to connect with hundreds of thousands of people on a daily basis, you know, like these super popular YouTubers that do Facebook, that do video game stuff and they don't do interviews and then they label games. They say, Oh, this game sucks. This game is good. This game is bad, but they don't tell us why, you know, it's like little microcosm here. When my daughter tells me that she loves me, she's three, I say, why? And she's got to explain herself to me, because if she can't, then she doesn't know, you know? And it's just like, you're having a conversation with a friend. Oh, did you buy um, Ghost of Tsushima? Yeah. Is it good? Yeah, it's good. What did you learn? You learned nothing,
2: right? You know? like.
1: Like, let's have real conversations about games. What does it play like? What does it remind you of? What does the score remind you of? Like, how does the game feel when you play it? How do you feel when you play Where does it, you know, that's. these are all the things that like a lot of reviewers don't even mention in their reviews. And then you see in a lot of IGN reviews, I, I think, I think, I think. And it's just like, this is crap, you know?
2: Yeah. So, And that's, it's so
3: basic, you know, you know. There are real things to review, but I think a lot of people focus on instant graphics and instant controls. And if they're like, ah, controls weren't good, it's a pretty crappy game. And they just, they limit everything. They put it in this just tiny little box. And so I like that you're, you press for more. Like, yeah, tell me about the music. Maybe... Maybe the controls did suck, but I bet you that music score was great or, or, or
1: whatever. What's, what's the reason why that the control sucked?
5: Yeah. You yeah. know, like
1: explain it to me. It's like, I remember, um, I think his name is Dean Takahashi. He's a video game journalist and he couldn't beat the tutorial in Cuphead. And he was just bitching and moaning oh. on social media and he was <laughs> tagging all of these AAA developers right? and these AAA developers were like ragging on the Cuphead team. And my whole thing is, it's just like, you don't have to be the world's greatest gamer to beat the tutorial of Cuphead. What do you have to do? You have to realize that the enemies move in patterns. You've got to be quick on, like, maybe had Carpal Tunnel or something like that. I don't know. But it's just like, you're going to, like, destroy a game's reputation on social media because you can't beat the tutorial. You know? It's kind of yeah. like, I tell, my, I tell my students all the time, I don't like Justin Bieber. I'm just, I'm not a Bieber. I don't have Bieber fever, you know, but I understand why people like him. You know, he's charismatic. He's cool you know, baby, baby, baby. Oh, like it's, (laughs) it's catchy. So like my whole thing is like when I go to, when I go to interview a developer, I I try and go in not with, Oh, I love this game or, Oh, I played this game as a kid. I go in with, okay, this game has a legacy. It sold this many copies or it's polarizing. People feel this way about it. People feel that way about it. And I I basically tell the developer, I'm like, all right, let's pretend everything on Wikipedia is bullshit because most of the time it is. Mm. And let's just go through how did you get into the video game industry what inspired this game what was the team like and i keep all the opinion i try and keep as much of the opinion out of it as possible and just let them tell me a story you know and all i do is try and provide context when in my writing you know that's in the that's in the chapter and i feel like people learn a lot more because they don't go in saying oh this is the best game ever you know they just go in this is another game with a really cool story and by the time the chapter's over now i get to make the decision yeah. whether or not I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play this or not. So, so yeah, that's well, what I try and do.
0: It's very apparent, too, like, in your writing, too, like, the way you've done it, you're not guiding questions to, like, your preferences and views, which I think is pretty huge because you don't really get that anywhere these days. So it's nice just yeah. to hear, you know, the the person's take and their experience, and, and you're just, like you said, contexting it. It's great.
1: Because it's like, again, at the end of the day, who gives a shit what Patrick Hickey Jr. thinks? Who cares? <laughs> right.
2: Like, who really...
1: like. I, I, I there's a video game store pretty close to my house that I hang out in, you know, a couple of times a week. I'm like Norm from Cheers. You know, I go there and stuff <laughs> and just and bullshit and that people know who I am. And my book is in like the, the front of the store, like in the window and stuff like that. It's really funny. But like people will go, oh, should I buy this? And I'll go, well, you should buy it because the producer of that actually worked on Star Wars Battlefront and blah, blah, blah. blah. And they'll go, no, 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 is it good? And I'm like, I can't, I can't answer that. I'm like, right. I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to be. That's when
3: you it. sell your book and then you're like, Hey, let's, let me sell you this book. And then <laughs> you'll know <laughs> it's happened.
1: It's happened plenty of times where like the people will like leave and they'll like buy the book on like, I'll be like, Oh, you could PayPal me the book right now. And I'll, I'll have it sent to you in like four or five days and they'll go, okay. And then they leave the video game store, not buying anything, but they bought my book. You know? <laughs> so, but That's the thing. I want to, I want to have real conversations with people about games. You know, and about yeah. the people, because we know so little about the people that make these games.
4: You so know, how did you how did you target? Like, obviously, the Warshaws and the David Cranes are pretty apparent on finding those. But when you're doing something like the, you know, the common EA sports game, how did you target the the person there? And how did you find the story?
1: Um. So NHLPA 93. Was probably like the first hockey game that I ever like truly, truly fell in love with because again, real players, you know, yeah. um ice hockey, bleed to steel, those are all great, you know. But to be able to play an NHLPA '93 with like Pierre Turgeon and like Mario Lemieux and Gretzky and stuff, it was just like, yo, this is great. So I naturally wanted to speak to those guys because that game had an impact on me. But I didn't know any of the behind the scenes stuff, so I'm like, okay, so I have to not be a fanboy here. I had to write this ob- as objectively as possible, but I need to speak to this guy because this is an important game. Like this is the this is like the father to NHL ninety four, and NHL ninety four is arguably considered the greatest hockey game of all time. So and I'm like, if I have NHL ninety four in the chap in the book, everyone's gonna be like, oh, we know the story, it's the greatest hockey game of all time. But NHL PA ninety three, people don't know all the backstory. So that's what how I kind of tried to do stuff. It's like um in the Genesis book that I'm working on now. It's basically finished. It's got 43 games in it. It's the biggest book I've done so far. But um, I'm like, I had to get a Sonic game. Had to. And I originally was going to do Sonic Spinball because I'm just like, who the hell knows yeah. the backstory of Sonic right. Spinball? And then the developer... Andy does. That's yeah, it. The developer ended up like backing out on me and I was just so pissed. I'm like, how the hell am I going to do a Sega book without having a Sonic game? And then I ended up meeting one of the assistant programmers on Sonic 2 And he gave me amazing stuff about like how the US team and Japanese team just did not get along at all. And like Sonic 2 was just like a huge pain in the ass to develop. So to answer your question, the EA stuff was just natural because like I grew up playing EA games and I just wanted to find good stories. And it's happened before where I've interviewed developers and I'm like, no one's like, you're not giving me anything to like write about. So I can't feature you. Um. One example, there's a really um, rare, like obscure game on PS1 called LSD, Dream Simulator, you know, and um, super rare, like weird ass game only came out in Japan. Um, And I got a hold of the creator and I sent him questions and he sent me back like 350 words of answers, like one sentence each. And I messaged him back and I'm like, I can't use this. I'm like, we need to speak more. And he never answered me. He still has time. I would love for him to answer me. But if he doesn't, then he doesn't. But I'm not going to just throw something in the book just because I got it. And I'm sure there are people out there that would like to know like what he said. He said some cool stuff, but it's not enough to like justify a chapter. Mm. And it's not a coffee table book. So I can't just put like the little thing in there. So to answer your question, it's just like, I was was trying to be guided by like, you guys are, we're all roughly like the same age. So it's kind of like, what did we play as kids? What stuck out at us? I, I, I wanted, I wanted the book to feel like you were walking, walking into like Blockbuster. And you had all of these games for all these different consoles all out there, and it was just like a smorgasbord. Like, I want people to go to the table of contents and just be like, he's got Genesis, he's got PlayStation 4, he's got an iPhone game. What the fuck? Like, this is all all over the place, but, like, all over the place in, like, the best way possible, you know? So with the EA stuff, I mean, you can't write a video game book and not talk about what EA did. Because, like, what EA – I mean, people shit on them all the time now because of the microtransactions and this and that. But, I mean, you have some of the best and brightest people at EA in the late 80s, early 90s that, to the point where, like, you would not have yearly sports games without them. And then no. they made so much money with yearly sports games that, like, a lot of other franchises were like, you know what? We should release a game a year. And that's why you had Silent Hill games coming out, like, once a year for, like, five years. And they're like, yo, these games suck now but they were trying to keep pace because they knew Madden and FIFA were going to sell four or 5 million copies every year. So they wanted a piece of that, you know? So EA has had a huge impact on the industry. So it's again, if you're not going to, if you're not going to like talk about EA in a video game book, it's, it's, it's not the smartest decision. So yeah, right.
0: That was definitely like a company you, like I think as kids, like that was one of the first companies you recognized on a cover and you're like, I need Mm -hmm. to play this. And like, some of the experimentation and the stuff they put out in the early 3D days, even stuff like on 3DO and early PlayStation, and Saturn, like, man, EA was everywhere and it was good. I mean, it was good for a long time.
1: Well, see, that's the thing, too. A lot of people don't realize that the creator and founder of EA, Trip Hawkins, left EA and he founded the 3DO company.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: so when you had like Madden, I'm pretty sure um, Madden 96 and NHL 96 were canceled on the PS1. They didn't come out that year. And that's the reason why game day and NHL Faceoff were such huge hits for like the first three or four years, because they, they ended up building a fan base because these people wanted to play football and hockey games and they just latched onto the Sony property. But those games came out on 3DO, you know, like EA invested big time in 3DO because they respected Trip Hawkins because Trip, Trip Hawkins was like this huge, huge visionary. And, um, I mean, he originally didn't wanna um, get involved with the Sega Genesis, and then he just saw it. He eventually saw it as a huge opportunity to take these sports simulations that they were doing to like a, a completely different level because he really loved like the power behind the Genesis, what the Genesis was able to do that the Amiga and like the other PC consoles that they were working on at the time couldn't do. So they, there's a lot of there's a lot of cross section between EA and 3DO, but then 3DO was business model sucked ass and kind of led to the death of the company
0: yeah 800 dollars for a console i mean it was a great concept to like have the manufacturers set the price but yeah it was rough for kids i remember like one kid who had one back in the day and i was like what the hell's a 3do it's like well it's like a super advanced super nintendo i was like cool never saw one again <laughs> do you want to
3: play super nintendo <laughs> yeah.
1: And the thing is, what a lot of people don't know is there's so many variants of it. There's like the Magnavox one. There's like different companies made them. I mean, I had yeah. one in my hands a couple of months ago, and I was just like, "Wow!" Mm. I mean, like Road Rash is really sexy on the 3DO. There's a couple like really oh, yeah. cool games mm-hmm. on it. But um, in the in the next book, the minds behind the shooter games, I get Rebecca Heineman, who did uh, Wolfenstein on uh, 3DO. She talks about how the business model was just fucked from the beginning. Yeah, you know. So, and that was a really cool chapter. So you, you find out like she ported like all of the versions of Wolfenstein that most people play, like the super Nintendo version, the 3DO version, the Jaguar version, you know? So she's, she's a maniac, you know, she did it in like two weeks. Like, wow, <laughs> yep. So that was a really fun chapter.
0: So I, I have a question. Cause like, um, you know, us on the podcast here and like, we've all dabbled to certain extents with like, YouTube and passion projects and throwing local conventions and like, do you ever find yourself pouring so much into your, your writing and your projects and you know, the VO work that like it changes your passion for the hobby, uh, for the worse or has that not been an issue for you?
1: Um, that's a great question. That's an awesome question. If like Robert De Niro was here, he'd be like, yo, <laughs> yo, yeah, good <laughs> yo. Um there have definitely been times um doing VO for games, um where I felt like I was underpaid. Um that I felt like my contributions weren't um appreciated at times. True. Um absolutely. Like, um, there were a couple of times on the Padre where I was just kind of like, in the beginning, it's like, yeah, you're investing in me. Thank you so much. But then it's just like on other points, it's like this game probably doesn't happen sometimes because if I'm not here, this game might not have been released the way that it was. And then I felt like when we were working on the sequel, um, I almost didn't join the team because they were looking to, uh, to save money and they were kind of like, They were kind of, like, hanging me for a couple of days. Like, oh, you know, we'll figure it out. Uh, And I'm just like, well, what's to figure out? Like, every review said the VO was good. That the VO, like, sold sold the game, you know? So that all got washed out, you know? And I have a great relationship with these guys. But it's just like, I was just like, wow, this is the way it works, you know? It's just kind of like, you guys remember, like, the third or fourth season of Ninja Turtles, where, like, they changed the voice of, like, Donatello or whatever. And you're just like what the fuck that's a different voice (laughs) you
5: know
2: Yep.
1: and i'm just like you're gonna do that i ain't no donatello you know so there's there's definitely been moments like that i mean i had i worked on um i worked on a game called the caillou offensive on on uh, steam it's basically like a top down version of uh rampage okay um Hmm. it looks like the original grand theft auto it's a lot of fun and i did narration and i wrote like the i wrote like the basic plot for the game and stuff like that and um I wasn't paid like that well, but there was only like two or three guys working on it, you know, so I put a lot into that. They bought a copy of my book, which was nice, you know, Um, but I mean, I ended up having to go on Moby Games. I'm sure you guys know Moby Games. Um, And I had to create the page for the game. And to me, that's just like I just did voiceover <laughs> as a narrator, and I'm like, but I want people to know about this game because it's fun, and I did work on it. And st- I'm just like, wow, if I if I didn't take like the hour out of my life to like make that page, some people would never even know that the game existed. True, sure. you know, mm-hmm. I'm just like,
2: right.
1: I, I like to surround myself with people that work as hard as I do, and sometimes that's been a problem for me. Um, and it's like a total turnoff. You know, it's like if I feel like you're hustling and you're like right beside me, then let's do this, like ride or die. Let's do this. But then it's just like when I start to see like people like slow down a little bit, I'm just like, mm, like come on, let's go, let's go. So there's been a couple of times where I've just felt like um, people didn't work as hard as I did. Sure. I will say, like I, I mentioned that I do narration for Tony Barnes's upcoming game. Um, that guy, that guy's an animal that guy is one of the hardest, like you want, you talk about like one man band. He does all the music in the game. He does, he does everything. And I'm just like, he'll show me screenshots. And I'm just like, bro, man, like I can't do that. And it's it's not that often that I say that, you know, that I look at somebody and just are are in like complete awe of how hard they work and how passionate they are. And that happens to me. Like every time I interview a developer, I sit down with like, Howard Scott Warshaw. And we talked about how he created a world in five weeks. And I'm just like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. And I think like, when you meet people like that, it inspires you to do more. So yeah, I've had a couple of like crappy situations, but for the most part, like I've been surrounded by a lot of great people that have pushed me to work even harder. It's like every year, December 31st, I go on my computer and I like do like a control, like F-O- uh, F O control V or whatever. And I, I highlight all the articles that I've written for the year. And I see the number that comes up. And every year I expect that number to go down. Like, oh, this year I wasn't as productive as I was the year before. Because, you know, this year I had a kid or this year I did this, this year I did that. And for the last 15 years, every year it goes up higher. And I'm just like, I'm a good dad. I'm a good husband. I'm a good college professor. Like... I'm eventually going to have to slow down, you know, like I'm not going to be able to like keep this up my entire life, but I'm going to try my hardest, you know, to, to do everything that I can to like make sure that people get what they deserve. And like, there's so many people out there that like will connect to these stories if they knew about them. And it's like one of the reasons why I'm here, you guys have a great show, you know, and it's just so many people. I have three books out now and I get messages like every couple of days from people that are like, they want to buy the first book. And I'm just like, well, to be honest, I'm like, the second book is written better. The third book is written a ton better. And they're like, no, I'll start from the beginning. So it's like the first book is still selling well.
2: Yeah. You know,
1: know? so it's just like, it's crazy. So it's just like, at the end of the day, in spite of like some hiccups here and there, for the most part, I've met so many great people that have just made me want to work like as hard as I possibly can on this, you know, and my daughter gets such a kick out of like, Seeing like she's three, seeing like me on YouTube and things like that, or like I was just on the. There's a weekly newspaper in Brooklyn, and I was on the cover today. They interviewed oh, nice. me for the oh. third book. Yeah, my wife was like, "Oh, that's my hubby!" Like on Facebook and stuff like that, and you know, it's just that stuff is so much cooler than every once in a while, you know, something stupid happening and people bickering and the, and that's the thing. too a lot of people, don't get like crunch is so real. You know, there have been times where it's just like, "Yeah, we need you to get this done today," and it's like, um, "I'm a full time college professor. Like, I have kids. Like, I have a wife. You know, and um, got to get it done. It's hard. It's not for everybody. Yeah. But then at the same time, too, everybody thinks that they can do it. You have all of these people on Reddit and this place and that place. Oh, that game sucks. I could have did it better. No, no, you couldn't." You know the first like the the founding fathers of the video game industry, these guys knew physics to the point where like they could like they could launch a rocket. they were that intelligent they created flying in video game form. Do you understand how intelligent you have to be they they created the mathematic equations for a ball to go from someone's hand through a hoop, you know like crazy, crazy stuff. So it's just like th- that's the problem with video games. Like, you look at Tom Cruise or, like, you know, a great actor. Why did I say Tom Cruise? Um, <laughs> you, know, you know, like Paul Newman or somebody like that. And you're just like, man, man, look at this guy. I can't do that. You know, you look at Meryl Streep and you're like, yeah, I can't do that. You watch, like, Prince play guitar. You know, and saying like, you know, Purple Rain. And you're like, yeah, I can't do that shit. But the average person that plays video games, they'll play, like, The Last of Us 2 and be like, I could have did better than that shit. It's like, no, you couldn't.
2: <laughs> you couldn't.
1: You know? Right. So that's kind of, like, why I tell these stories. Because these people deserve so much more credit. It's like, you could be in Starbucks next to one of your favorite game developers of all time. And you have no idea what they look like. Yep. Yeah. You have no idea. Idea what their life has been like. I can't tell you how many developers have told me stories where they're just like, "Yeah, man, these two little punk bastards are talking about my game," and I'm just like, "Well, <laughs> you know, da, da, da. And the kids are like, "Well, fuck you. What do you know, blah well, blah, you old bastard." And he's like, no, "Well, I created the game. Google it right now." And they're like, "I don't need to Google. It. You're too old to have made that game, blah, blah blah blah." And it's just like, "Wow, man, holy crap." So I just want to, I want to bring. I want to be an advocate for the video game industry. I want to be a protector for video game history. And I want these guys to get the credit that they deserve because it's like they totally, totally deserve more credit. It's it's not it's not fun to get your art shit on by people that have the slightest clue how to create it, but they'll appreciate it. You know, so that's the thing.
4: Yeah. On top of it being a team effort, too. That's even even harder to pull together, you know?
1: Well, that's the thing too. So like uh, for the Minds Behind the Shooter games, I interviewed the narrative director for uh, the new Call of Duty Modern Warfare. So all that
5: guy, yeah. thought,
1: not all that guy, but he, he wrote the story for the game. He guided the story. So it's like that guy has a great story, you know, because there's a, there's a very strong female protagonist in the new Modern Warfare and stuff like that. And some people didn't like that. And he explains why they, why they went that route and this and that. But it's like that guy has a story but there's also like 200 other people that worked on call of duty. Right. And I guarantee, I guarantee you they'll have a story too. You know, it's so different now between games made today and games made 25 years ago, games made 25 years ago. It was like two or three people like jungle strike only had seven people on the team and like they gave everybody credit. So, but there was only like two or three people that did like background graphics or this and that. So there was only like a core of like two or three people making a game like that, I mean, yeah. holy shit. It's insane.
0: Call of Duty, like, is an interesting one, too, because you think about that and, like, yeah, you're in charge of, you know, writing this amazing story and these characters, and then, like, you are, you're attached to this property where, like, right out the gate, you know that 50% of the people buying the game are never going to experience that because they're going to only go to team deathmatch. Like, God, that's got to be so frustrating.
1: It's got to be, you know, and, like, we talked about some of that in the in the book. Um, they, they take things with stride. You know, and they're kinda of just like at the end of the day, as long as people are playing it and they care about it, if you could touch somebody in like a little little way. Like I remember when the first Padre came out. That's definitely not Call of Duty, but one of my students messaged me on uh on Facebook and it like went into my you know, my filtered section because he wasn't my friend and stuff like that. So it's like a month later I go on my filtered section on Facebook and I see a message from one of my students and he's just like, Oh, professor, sorry to bother you, but I'm stuck on the second floor in the (laughs) mansion. And all I hear is you telling me that the door is locked. Where do I go? And I'm just like, Oh my God. (laughs)
5: You
1: know. So it's Um, like, if you have like one moment like that, it makes like everything worth it. Cause you, you've got to have a thick skin. People are going to shit on you, you know? And, um, it's to the point where like, um, now that like I have three books out, I have people that um, will go, oh, well, if you're doing a shooter book, you better have Call of Duty in there, or I'm not going to buy it. And I'm just like, do you have any idea how fucking hard it is to like get these people to speak to you? Like, I spoke to Activision. I must have exchanged like 30 emails. And then if it wasn't for Eric Holmes, who did like Battlefield, Hulk, Ultimate Destruction, he hooked me up with... Um, with Lee Perry, who did Gears of War, and then just so on and so on and so on. And I just started rolling. Like, that guy had, another guy had a tremendous amount of faith in me. Um, And I had an in, it would have been been so hard. You know, and then, I'm happy that you guys mentioned this before, but, like, um, it's super hard to get these people that are American and North American that speak English. But the Japanese developers are, like, next to impossible because the culture is basically, like, I made this you experience whatever you want to experience. It's right. a job. I move on to the next thing. And it's like, no, no. What was your life like when you were doing this? What was the process like? Like, I've been super lucky that I've gotten, you know, maybe like seven or eight Japanese developers. But like, I remember when I was doing the Sega book, like a couple of weeks ago, when I was wrapping up the Sega book, I got Sega to um, hook me up with Riko Kadama, who um, she's like the princess of the RPG. Like she did all the fantasy star games on the Genesis and stuff. And she gave me great answers, but very, she's very close-knit, like not nearly as in-depth as some of the other people because that's what the culture is. But to the average gamer, they're like, oh, what was the story behind Mario? And I'm like, they're not going to tell you in the same depth that a North American game developer is going to tell you. The Mm -hmm. North American game developer grew up on vh1 behind the music and espn 30 for 30 and unsolved mysteries and america's most wanted and they they and reality shows and they love that shit in japan it's it's like this is your job you do it to the best of your ability and you're humble you know and you don't shit talk and stuff so every time i get a good japanese developer i get super happy to get them in the book, but it's so hard. So it's like sometimes in a book, somebody will go, Oh, how come you didn't get this game? And I'm just like, that entire team was Japanese. Like, and then the thing right. is, the thing is too, what the Japanese companies used to do is they wouldn't have their real names on the credits.
4: Right. So mm-hmm. it's
1: like, if you don't, if you don't do a ton of research, you don't know that Phoenix re Ri is Riko Kadama. You know, if you don't really know your shit, you'll never find out who some of these aliases are. You know, so that's just like to any of my readers that ever look through my books and go, man, you've got a lot of like North American, you know, gamers and a lot of like UK, the UK game development scene is amazing. There's so many great companies, you know, Argonaut and, you know, like a lot of people don't know, but like Star Fox, I mean, Dylan Cuthbert, you know, he was 17 years old, created the Super FX chip. you know, um, those guys have been a lot more forthcoming than Japanese developers. I would love to speak to more, you know, and I continue to pitch them, but it's hard.
4: So right. yeah, yeah it's and I think in Japan, it's, it's very much like we were talking about how you don't want to be the publisher name. You want to get to know the developer that the culture there is just that you work to make the publisher big, you know, mm-hmm. and that's yep. the, that's still going on. Is, I mean, even Kojima.
1: Even today, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And Kejim is a rarity, because he's a name, and he's, he's always made sure that he was a name. He's very much a North American developer in a Japanese body, you know? Because so, he knows he's a cool motherfucker, you know? <laughs> and, and he understands how important a personal brand is. You know, it's like, I mean, right now, I'm wearing, like, a Minds Behind the Games shirt. You know, I've got, like, a Minds Behind the Games mask, you know? When I go outside, it's like you've got to represent yourself. You've got to be a brand all the time. You've got to have brand awareness. You know, it's just like, I'm a big like proponent of like, you know, entrepreneurialism. And I love like Gary Vander and stuff like that. And you just gotta, you've got to like have a lot of faith in yourself and what you can deliver every single day. And great developers have that, you know, they understand like what they bring to a team and things like that. And Kajima, absolutely. He knows that he knows who the hell he is. He knows his worth he knows how he can change the face of the game by just being involved in it. So
0: man, we've covered a lot of ground. It's all been very I, interesting too.
4: You know, uh, this more, has been awesome. One more question. When do you sure. sleep?
1: Um, <laughs> because, probably, because I was looking, I'm probably going to be up for another couple of hours. So what were you, <laughs> what were you looking at?
4: I was looking at your uh, re- reviewfix.com and the number of articles that you do in total and on a daily basis is insane. I mean, and the, the topic's covered between wrestling and, you know, music, it's, it's music, just insane.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've just, like I said, every year I just do, I do more and I'm like, kind of like, like perfect example. Once we get done, um, it's like 11 o'clock here. So um, I'm probably going to throw on impact because I do like tons of professional wrestling uh, stuff. I love professional wrestling. um, And uh, I'll do that. And then I'll go to bed probably by like one. And then my son will probably be up by like 6.30. So, and if I sleep through it, then my wife is awesome. That's the thing. I get to do a lot because like my wife, my wife's a maniac. Like she stays up late. She, she does like tons of shit. She makes like a lot of this possible. If I was with somebody that bitched and moaned every time I had to do something, it would be so much harder. And I'd probably be single. You know, I'd be like Steve Carell. Like the 40-year-old virgin and stuff like that, you know, <laughs> in a room surrounded by, like, pop culture shit. Instead, I have a wife and two kids and a cat and a dog and a little man cave. So, I mean, she's she's responsible for, for a lot of that. Like, she understands. And it's hard sometimes, you know. It's hard, like, you know, you're trying to pitch somebody or you're trying to do research on your phone and you're getting yelled at to put down your phone. And you know she's right, you know. It's hard but it gets done and you know, it's like I started this journey like four years ago and my fourth book is going to be out like in December and I've got like at least two, two, the Genesis book is finished. The PlayStation book is like pretty close to finished. So I I find ways to make it work. And see, that's the thing. It's just like, if you really want something, you're going to find ways to work. You're going to adapt. I mean, I know so many people through COVID that have just made this like such an excuse. Like, oh, you know, everything's closed, I can't do this, I can't do that, da da, da da and I remember um I sent in a book like a month after the COVID stuff started. I've got another book that's getting ready to be sent in. I'm doing VO in my man cave while all this stuff is going on. I'm teaching four classes a day in my man cave, coming out during like my twenty minute breaks, helping my wife change diapers, do dishes, change the cat box, yell at the dog, you know, <laughs> like If you want something, you make it work. You know, I post a shit ton on Instagram. Like, it's like stream of consciousness for me. You know, I post like 40, 50 pictures a day on Instagram. Just like, oh, you guys ever hear of this game? Oh, what what game is this? Like, just to have conversations with people, just to interact with people. Because that's like the thing, too. Why do we create art to interact with people? And, um, I mean, I basically wrote these books because I wanted to have a different type of conversation with gamers. Um, And to go back to, like, do I sleep? probably less than the average person, but I go to bed every night. Like tonight I'll go to bed being like, yo, man, I had a great conversation with these guys, you know, and I'll wake up in the morning. I have another podcast tomorrow and have articles that I have to do tomorrow. And I have like four loads of laundry that I have to do tomorrow. So it's just like every day shit has to get done. And if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. And then that's the thing. Once you get used to not doing shit, once you get used to shit, not getting done, then it becomes like natural, Sure, and that's a that's a problem. So for me, I'd rather set the bar as high as possible, and just try and reach it every single day. And then, as long if I just touch it, I don't have to hold on to it. If I could just touch it by the end of the day, then I'm good because that's farther than most people, you know. So, sleep is overrated. I tell my students all the time, like, oh, oh, I just want eight hours of sleep. When, like, when. Just, just do what you got to do, you know. So, yeah, sleep's overrated. Mm
0: -hmm. They need to, they need to give you a TED talk or something. This has been super
1: uplifting. (laughs) I I hope. I hope. Like that's the thing, too. It's like I've had students before come back, like after like ten years, and they're like, "Oh, you know, you really affected me." Like I have, I have no idea. Like I don't know if I bored you guys for like the last hour or not. I have no idea if I, if I. Not at all. Thank you but it's just like at the end of the day, all you could do is share your story and hope to affect somebody in like a tiny way, you know? And like, that's my, my biggest thing. Like at the end of the book, like, I just want people to go, you know what? I'm going to download night trap on switch, you know, or, Oh, you know what? I'm going to go and download squids on iPhone because it sounds really cool. You know, like, that's what I want. I want these developers to get recognition because if these developers get recognition through what I wrote, then I win too. And everybody grows like I've been on podcasts where the per- people had like 50 followers and they're like, well, you have like thousands of followers on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and stuff. Why would you want to be on my show? I'm like, cause I don't know those 50 people that follow you. And I want to connect with those 50 people, you know? So that's kind of like at the end of the day, I just want to continue to reach as many people. Um, Tony Barnes, again, I mention him all the time cause I love him. He's like, I'm the biggest thing that you don't know about yet. And it's the truth, he's done, He this guy's sold tens of millions of games, and people don't know who the hell he is, Yeah, which is crazy to me. So it's like, for me, it's like that's kind of like the boat that I'm into. Like I'm writing these, these books and a lot of people don't know who I am. So that's why I have to do podcasts all the time. And that's why I have to talk to people more. And that's why I can't be like, you know, I don't know, like Pat country or John Hancock and just go on my YouTube and be like, Oh, I'm, I'm cool. Oh, I can't do that. I have to go out and bust my ass every single day, you know, but I am a firm believer that if we have a blind taste test between my stuff and any of those people that have hundreds of thousands of followers, you're going to pick this mug over that.
5: You know? So, <laughs> yeah.
1: so it's, just a matter, it's just a matter of time. You just got to keep hustling. So yeah. I love it. I, yeah, it's a great perspective. Mm-hmm. Great. So.
0: Well, since we're getting to the end of the conversation here, do you have anything you want to plug uh, specifically or places sure. to check out where we can find you?
1: Yeah, sure. So on uh, Twitter, I'm at ReviewFixPat. Um, Instagram is like my preferred place to communicate on social media. It's just so much fun for me. Like Twitter is like, it's just not enough room to talk. You know, that's why I just post articles on there. Or if I see somebody that likes a status, like that's how I came up, came across you guys. I saw you liked one of the podcasts that I was on and I was just like, all right, let me reach out. You guys want guests, blah, blah, blah. Like I do my own PR basically. Um, so Instagram, I'm at Patrick Hickey Jr. Um, you guys, can buy the book at com forward slash books. That's probably the best place to buy the book because it's like, um, I will personalize your book. I'll write something in there, depending on where you're from. I will throw in hockey cards, baseball cards, football cards, like anything cool to kind of like connect with you. I'll throw my, my Walter Day trading card in there. And um, I want to have a relationship with you. You know, I don't want to marry you, but I want to be able to. Oh, okay. I'm out. (laughs) Just a bastard (laughs) child
0: or two? Come on.
1: Yeah, you know, like maybe we'll take a bath together or something like that. No. (laughs) This is the thing. It's like, I remember when I would do book signings before COVID, so much fun, you know, and I would get to talk to people. And the bookstore owners would get pissed because I would have real conversations with people. But that's what I do, you know, and uh, COVID, you can't do that. So if you buy the book from me, I know where you live. That sounds really creepy, but <laughs> I'm going to email you and I'm going to be like, Oh, you're from Philadelphia. You're a flyers fan, but blah, 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 blah. we'll have a conversation. I'll put some cool stuff in your book and I'll, I'll tell you like, you know, follow me on Instagram, follow me on Twitter. We'll talk. Cause I feel like that's important. You know, I've been to so many terrible book signings over the years where it's just like the person signs your book and then you're off, you know? And it's like, I never want to do that. My book is not cheap. You know, it's 40 bucks. Mm. It's from an academic publisher. It's in, you know, Harvard's library, it's in Stanford's library, it's in UCLA, UC Berkeley, all these great colleges. Like I'm fully comfortable saying that like in 25 years, these books are going to be a lot more important than they are now, but I'm not going to wait 25 years to have a connection with you. If you buy the book, I want to know, I want to know what you liked. I want to know what you didn't like. I want to know what games you want to hear more about. So I can put them in a book, like all of those things. So com forward slash books. Let's talk, let's have a conversation.
0: Awesome. Well, this is great. We'll have to do this again in a year when you've got like five more voiceover work things done, like 12 more books, a million more articles. I'm sure you'll have plenty of new stuff at the rate you're going.
1: Yeah, there's lots of crazy, crazy stuff on the horizon. Like I just, uh, for the PlayStation book, I just confirmed like Grand Theft Auto 2, Driver. So like the PlayStation book is so sexy. Twisted Metal, Jet Moto. Like I cannot wait for people to get a hold of like the shooter book is next, um, but then the Genesis book is the biggest book that I've done so far. And then I'm not going to stop writing the PlayStation book until the PlayStation book has at least one more game than the Genesis book. So it's going to be really like the next year is going to be a ton of fun. And I, I loved hanging out with you guys. So I would be more than honored to to come by again.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to checking all that out.
1: Awesome. Yeah, and thank you for thank you for picking up the book. It means a lot.
0: Yeah. No, it's great. I've had a good read. I uh, actually was doing a little bit more reading today, going back through some of the stuff I passed up the first time, because I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not sure about this one, but then you go back and, like, I don't know. It's all, like I said, it's just really nice, like you pointed out on the train, digestible pieces. So even if it's something you didn't think, you would find something interesting, in, you do, inevitably. And they're all just nice little chapters. It's it's good. I'm looking forward to the newer books, too. And the, the, the lineup for that PlayStation one sounds amazing. I kind of want to... It was it's such so a pivotal good. era for, like our generation like that early teens and like, I don't know that, that to, to me, PlayStation was like, I can't believe that I'm going to continue gaming and it's still connecting with me as I'm growing up. Cause you know, the industry shifted there. So that's going to be, that's going to be fun.
1: It's like, I'll give you guys some, some exclusiveness. Right now um, I'm talking to uh, two members of the final fantasy seven team right now. And, And like, they haven't like given me the, their answers yet or the releases. So it's not like officially confirmed, but it's like just the fact that these guys got back to me, you know, it's like, because so many people were like, well, if you're going to do a PlayStation game, a PlayStation book, you've got to get, like, Crash Bandicoot, and Crash Bandicoot is confirmed. It's in. They're like, well, you, then you've got to do Twisted Metal, and it's like Twisted Metal's in. You've got to do, like, at least one square soft RPG, and Parasite Eve is in. So I'm, like, checking off all these boxes, and people are like, oh, this looks so cool, blah, 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 NHL 98. Like, there's so many great things in there, and they're like did you get final fantasy seven? And I'm just like, I hate you. I've <laughs> <laughs> right. given you everything. They're going to
0: ask, right?
1: Yeah. So then I just like, mm. again, the other day, you know, my wife was out and, uh, both my kids were sleeping and I'm sitting here in the kitchen trying to be quiet. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to start pitching people. And I got two people from the American side of the games development. And it's just like, I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. So it's just you know the PlayStation book is going to be super special. It's because you deserve it. I mean, you deserve it. You grew up during that time. You want to know more. And that's like, that's great. Journalists are selfless. They keep their opinions out of their work, you know, um, and they try and deliver stories by other people to you in a easily digestible format, elegantly organized. Like that's what journalism is all about. So like, that's what, that's what I'm trying to do. So thank you guys for, for being a part of that.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Looking forward to it. And, and thanks so much again for coming on. We re- really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, no problem, guys. Absolutely.
0: Okay. I don't know what you guys thought. That was a, that was a fun conversation.
4: Incredible. I think we Inspiring. talked about that guy is a machine.
0: Oh, I could have sat there and just listened for, I mean, I see why he's a professor and a lecturer. I mean, I'd sit in that class for days.
4: Yeah. He's something else. That's great
3: i feel like i can fly after
4: that
0: <laughs> yeah it was very uplifting too just got the guy's attitude and work ethic and passion for uh what we love you know video games the history behind it the people in it, the industry kills it um but <laughs> that was great uh but it is probably time that we wrap it up
3: oh it's always important to wrap it up
0: it's true yes
3: It is very true. Patrick, (laughs) thanks for uh, joining us on the show. It was awesome having you. Uh, Friends and fellow podcasters, we have an email. We did. This is a big deal. We have an email. And I get to read it. You do. Finally, an email. Uh, So it says, hi, guys. Just a little email to tell you how much I love your podcast. Keep up the great work. And I'm going to butcher this. Cestus. Perhaps Cestus saying hi from France. That's yes. pretty awesome.
0: Long time follower of the podcast. We appreciate yeah. it. We appreciate you taking the time to send an email too. That's kind of, it's not something that people take the time to do these days. So thanks so much.
3: Yeah. Pretty awesome.
0: We'll try to get Nate to make some more videos too. I'll work on it. If he would stop crashing his drones into the red river, it would probably help.
3: <laughs> That's another, uh, another story. That's a next story podcast, for next time. Next podcast I will share. I'm still getting over the 100 the T-Rexes that have shown up to my house. So <laughs> <laughs> just to carry that story on. But friends, uh, join Cestus from France by sending some emails to us. We'll read Podcast At weekendrentalpodcast at gmail.com. Send those emails to us. Make sure you're following us on all of our social medias uh, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all of those great places. And you can find all things We Can Rental at weekendpodcast.com. And as always, friends, be kind, rewind.
0: Bread's done. Bananas? <laughs> <laughs>
5: bananas.